They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so that they may serve me as priests. Make them use gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Thurman on the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Make the robe of the ephob ephod, fod, sorry, entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head in its centre. This shall be a woven edge like a collar around this opening so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates of blue, purple and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as a seal, holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. Weave the tunic of fine linen and make the turban of fine linen. The sash is to be the work of an embroiderer. Thanks, Jan. And as Phil changes the plugs up there so that I can get some pictures on the screen here. Um, we're looking at this theme of living in God's presence and we know that um, God doesn't live in buildings uh, but there's no place like home and um, I've got a couple of, of um, slides to show you of what's happened recently. If that's on. Um, that looks like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Knocking down bricks. <laughs> uh, you can see the uh, red room, the roof's gone all the way through. Um, in this next one, that's the hall. Sorry, can you just move that? No, it, at the back of the red room, like where the hall is, the toilets were. Is that, are we just like looking through to the neighbour's house? We are up higher, yep. Yep. Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, that's the hall with everything, all the little bits and pieces taken out. Look how, how spacious that is. Um, and then this next one, those are the two places where the stained glass windows have gone from. Uh, the first six, the rainbow ones, have been already reinstalled on the other side of the building. And the six apostles, which will end up three in each of those top spaces, are just stored, ready to go in.
but um, I just like the proportion between the, the worker who's standing there and high, how far it is up to the top. It's a huge <laughs> space too. Um, so that's just a couple of pics. Um, drive past and have a look. Um, Peter Corbett sent me these on Friday afternoon and I didn't have a chance to um, get them onto the, com the back computer, but uh, others have taken some shots as well, have just been there, so um, drive past and have a look. It's, it's, uh, it's happening and it's exciting. So living in God's presence. It's, it's not, as we said, it's not about buildings, but it's nice to have a home, isn't it? And we look forward to, to that. This morning, as we um, come to look at the, the um, high priest and his dressing up, um, I just wondered, you know, there are some who really like to dress up. Uh, last night, I was at a 21st birthday party, which was a winter theme, and um, everybody was, was dressed up, except me. <laughs> well, maybe a few others, because I came late, have been somewhere else. But... Um, some just like to uh, dress up. Some like to watch people, other people who get dressed up. And um, here's a, a great example of that. Um, I don't know why he missed his belt loop with that white belt. Um, but um, some people like to, to watch those who are dressed up. Uh, this is a really cute little photo that I found while I was looking for the royal wedding. This is this primary school in London that had their own royal wedding <laughs> and they even got the local Anglican priest who's that uh, lady on the right of the photograph to do a ceremony so uh, and it all came to watch now I as we as we dress I just want to um, to say to you I don't think any of us have ever been whether it's fancy dress or ordinary dress but any of us have been had that pressure when we when we when we get dressed that if we don't do it right we'll die Okay, you might think you'll die socially. <laughs> okay, um, but you know, there there is nothing that we uh, have have experienced like that. I mean, yes, we might have experienced this. Uh, get it the right way round. First pants, then shoes. I've been caught out with that, having shoes on, trying to get tracky pants off and falling over. It is, you know, there are some times when dressing up in the right way is important, but as I said, I, I don't think there's any real instance of um, dressing up. Um, if you don't dress the right way, you die. That's the case with the priest, and we're going to go through his clothing, but I want to pray as we, as we focus on this. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that it has been your plan and your purpose to live with your people from uh, right back in the time of Adam and Eve and we thank you Lord that you have provided a way uh, through all those millennia for this to be possible and Lord as we look at this Old Testament system we just pray that you'll help us Lord to have um, open eyes to see the connections uh, that are there thousands of years ago that are relevant for us today to be able to live in your presence. So thank you that you're here with us, Lord Jesus, and we ask you to open our eyes and hearts to all that you have for us today. Amen. So here is the high priest. Um, the different articles of clothing, I think we'll just mention as we go through one by one, and um, you'll see the significance of the overall appearance of the high priest because 
he was told exactly, or Moses was told by God exactly what Aaron and other high priests were to wear. And this is where it starts. So first of all, a turban of, um, of pure linen. Uh, and, and then on uh, his body first is the tunic, which is also of pure linen. There's nothing that um, special about tunics in the sense that most of the people wore a tunic um, that kind of was full length like that. But then over the top of the tunic, our high priest has this special blue robe, special woven robe, um, and then there it is, the thing you've all been waiting for, the ephod. Um, it's a back-to-front apron-looking garment there, but the important thing about the ephod is what it's made out of. It's made out of um, gold thread, you know, fine gold, purple, scarlet and blue thread twisted together with fine linen. Does that ring any bells? The curtains of the, of the tabernacle were made out of the same um, f five materials. Okay, so he's like a walking tabernacle in a sense. Um, but then, then we have um, his, his next thing, which is uh, on the bottom of the, um, the robe are the golden bells and pomegranates. I'll tell you a little bit more about those in a moment. Um, he has on his um, chest this... Uh, it's a square piece of fabric. It's made out of the same material as the ephod, so special material. And on that square are the gemstones, 12 gemstones, four by three, with the names of the, the uh, tribes of Israel uh, written on those gemstones. And they're attached to um, the rest of his clothing by gold rings and gold chains and blue chains. Again, all those colours reminding us of, of um, the, the, the presence of God, the royalty of, of, uh, of God, in a sense. Um, he has another place on his shoulders where the names of the sons of Israel are mentioned. On both his shoulders, he's got onyx um, stones attached uh, to the tunic and on, on one side the first six tribes of Israel and on the other side they're, they're, on, they're by age on his shoulders so he, he bears the, the, the people of, of Israel upon his shoulders but also upon his heart um, one is a remembrance for, for Aaron uh, the one on his heart is that Aaron is, is part of the people and he has the um, the, the the love for his people and he is the one who stands in their place. The ones on the shoulders, the reminder to God that God has made a commitment to his people. And, um, and then inside the um, breast piece are um, the Urim and Thummim. And um, I don't know if I've pronounced it right. I've got no idea what they are and neither has anybody else. They're... they're um, their construction is not described, like you know, there's so many other things we're, we're told they made, so they existed before, um, before this. Uh, they were, it is called the, um, the breastplate of decision. So the, the, um, there's something about discerning the will of God that's involved with the Urim and the Thurim, but um, 
we're not exactly sure how that worked, but, but um, Aaron is responsible, the high priest is responsible for discerning the will of God and uh, disseminating that to the people. And then finally, on his head, he has a gold band, which is attached to his turban by a blue cord. And on the gold band, it says, holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. So uh, there is the high priest in all his glory. Like I said, he's, he's like a, a, a walking tabernacle. His robes correspond to the curtains in the tabernacle. Um, the, the gold band on his head that says holy to the Lord corresponds to the, uh, the sanctuary, the holy place, and then beyond the curtain to the most holy place, the holy of holies. Um, and we'll see how that uh, works out in his... Um, routine um, his, his feet this guy's got sandals on there's no mention of feet covering his feet are firmly touching the ground like the uh, the outer court and then as you go up then you have the other um, you know things that correspond to the tabernacle in terms of the their material they're constructed out of so in one sense he's he is only a human being but in another sense he is a human being clothed in the majesty of God. That, that is what uh, the people see. The high priest is clothed in the majesty of heaven. Now this all you know, is a bit foreign for us today, but God established his covenant with his Old Testament people, with the Israelites, which was expressed in much more visual terms, uh, in signs, and in memorials, of, of um, making memorials, and, and even um, Aaron is told to be a memorial before God. So they, they all, all of the parts of the, the tabernacle, they point to a, a spiritual reality. They point beyond themselves. Now, the people didn't necessarily see that spiritual reality, but in hindsight, with the coming of Christ, we are told some things about that spiritual reality but what the people did see was uh, Aaron representing God clothed in the very majesty of, of God on high who um, went before them who made atonement for them which means you know, brought the forgiveness of sins by what he did uh, and when all was working then God was present with his people when this system was working God was present with his people. But Aaron had great responsibility. He had to get it right. He could be struck dead if he got it wrong. Two of his sons who were priests were struck dead for burning the wrong kind of incense to God because they didn't follow the instructions that God gave to Moses. Now that sounds very harsh to us, but that's the reality of sin. See, it's a picture of the seriousness of sin. Sin brings death. And you know, we, we need to be reminded of that because the same is true today. Uh, sin brings death. So the high priest uh, is so important. And we are told he is to remember to get the details of the ceremony right. And, and God remembers his covenant promise when the priest gets the details of the, of the ceremony right. And when God remembers, God saves. When God remembers, God saves. So to understand this more fully, I think there are probably two questions that we need to answer. 
Now he's all dressed up. What does he do? What does he do? He's not all dressed up and nowhere to go. He's got a function. And then what on earth has that function got to do with us today? So what did the high priest do? Well, he did the same thing as the other priests. Although being the high priest, I have a feeling that he probably didn't get his hands as dirty as the junior priests. Uh, we're not told of Aaron doing any sacrifices until one particular day of the year. So he, he was able to go into the, the holy place and, and um, you know, make sure the candles were trimmed and all that kind of stuff. But once a year, the high priest earned his money. That was when he put his life on the line on the Day of Atonement. It's an annual day which dealt with the defilement of sin that was kind of present in, in the camp and also in the tabernacle. So it was the high priest's responsibility to atone for the, for the sin and not just for the specific sin, but for the pollution of sin, for the effects of sin throughout the camp. And he actually um, atoned using blood on particular pieces of furniture. So yes, we need to have our sins forgiven, but the furniture is also atoned for. Not like you know the, the, the table needs it, its sins forgiven, but it is polluted. It's a symbol. It's polluted by, by the presence of sin, even right into the, the most holy place. So if you like, sin is like a disease. It spreads. It spreads. And the only way to deal with sin is by cleansing it. And what do you use to cleanse sin? This is counterintuitive. What do you use to clean up sin? Blood. Okay, it is blood that purifies and washes away sin because the wages of sin is death. So the high priest, um, on this day, once a year, he prepares himself to go into the most holy place and make atonement, make a forgiveness of sins for all the things that the Israelites have done that might have been caused by their sinfulness, that have just kind of spread and, and festered. And he is going to clean all that up. First of all, he has his own ceremonial bath to make himself clean then he puts on his high priest garb and then he actually takes a, a, a bull and sacrifices it himself so you remember that when the when the individuals come to worship they sacrifice their animal the priest helps by collecting the blood in this instance the high priest sacrifices the animal because it's a sin offering for himself okay and then he he takes the blood uh, into the, the tabernacle, uh, right through into the very inner room, the, the most holy place, and he sprinkles the blood on, on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, which is in there, in order to atone for sin that has affected the, the whole people. Then he goes out and gets the goat. Uh, there are two goats involved. Um, one goat is sacrificed, and again the high priest does that. He collects the blood, and that is the goat that symbolises the whole nation. And he takes the blood and does similar with the blood of the goat. The second goat, 
he lays his hands on as a symbol of transference of sin onto the second goat and that is the goat that is sent out into the wilderness the scapegoat yeah um, okay so so there's a double symbolism the sin has been cleansed in the camp and removed you know to to the the desert to destruction um, so let me read a couple of verses from Leviticus 16 if you want to follow um, Le- Leviticus is the next book after Exodus and um, I'm going to read verses 11 uh, to 16 Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and for his household he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering he is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. You see, he goes in to the the most holy place on fear of death. He takes with him some coals from the altar where the animals have been sacrificed and some incense and he places them uh, in the most in the holy of holies and the smoke from the incense covers his you know covers his vision if you like because sinful man cannot look face to face look you know with god so the incense kind of protects him as he then does the ceremony um, with the blood he's got bells on his on his gown remember that and those bells tell everybody outside that he's still alive okay he walks the bells tinkle the people know he's making atonement for their sin and everybody stops to listen for the bells and then you know he goes into the most holy place and the bells are still ringing and then he comes back and i reckon aaron probably goes pinches himself yes i'm still alive thank you lord um you know we don't hear the response of the people it's not written here but that's what's happening okay so um going back to to leviticus 16 um he is to take some of the bull's blood with his finger and sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites whenever, whatever their sins have been. Okay, so that uncleanness and rebellion, it sticks like a, like, like a disease. And now it has been cleansed and atoned for and um, the people look at the high priest and they give thanks to God as, as the high priest is God's representative to them. They give thanks to God knowing that God has forgiven their sins and that God is present with his people. Now, what does that matter for us today? We don't, we don't do that. Um, we don't have to have those ceremonies. But... In essence, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed when it comes 
um, to the human condition. Sin is still pervasive. Sin still pollutes and infects us. Even as Christians, sin and the effects of sin impact our lives and work, work their way in through things that we, that we look at, through things that we dream about or think about, through the responses we have to other people, spoken or unspoken, through the thoughts that we have that are, that are ungodly, through the actions that we do that we hope that we would not do. All of these things seep into our lives as Christians. And sin even finds its way into the church of God. Um, I just heard this morning a sad story of a friend of mine in a church in Brisbane who um, someone from our church visited and um, he said they're having trouble in their church and um, uh, you know, sent a message via this person from 8 o'clock would I pray for them? Even in the church, sin is pervasive. We know that that is not the way it should be. And we even know, if we are open to God's spirit, we're convicted of the things that we do that we should not do. And the, the way that we uh, treat people and say things uh, that we should not. And we don't... Um, you know, we, we don't communicate well together, we have difficulties and that turns into wrong thoughts, wrong actions and we're in a place where we don't want to be. Now, the, the, that is not new. That is not new. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 describes that as being his very life. The good that I would do, I do not do. The wrong things that I would not do, I do. I do. And... Um, in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue him? Paul says in verse 25, the next verse, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only one who can really atone for our sin is Jesus. And even as Christians who are forgiven people, we still struggle with the presence and the pollution of sin. And we are able, uh, as Paul did, to say, thank you, Jesus. You are the only one who can deliver me through this sin. You are the only one who can give forgiveness and, and new life. And we need to hear that, don't we? We need to hear that. We need to take our sin seriously because God does. Sin costs life. And in Jesus, we, it is his life, not ours. So as we think of the, all of the connections with the Old Testament, God is using a system of the tabernacle to actually help the Old Testament people to learn 
uh, the seriousness of sin and to learn the forgiveness of sin comes from God's grace and mercy. All of those things just as we uh, learn. But then we get to see now, by looking backwards through Christ, the, ref- the kind of refracted picture of all this symbolism and it all makes sense because it all points to Jesus. And um, in, um, in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, we, we read verses 1 to 10. I'd like to continue now. I wanted to save these verses for myself. Verses 11 to 14. Um, it says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of bulls and goats, but entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean Sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You see, we are so much more fortunate than the Old Testament worshippers because we see the reality of what is of what God has in store by the, the, uh, the sacrificial death of Jesus. We don't just see that. We see into uh, you know, God's heavenly kingdom, God's principles, God's purposes, and it's a how much more for us. If that worked for the Old Testament people to, to make them ceremonially clean and to make them presentable to God, how much more will the death of Jesus... What does is, what is the, the writer say? How much more will the death of Jesus cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? Do you have a bad conscience about your sinful behaviour? You should. We all should be saying, that's me. Because we do. Because we're God's people and we know that we, we sin and we don't want to sin. And when we, when we are honest with ourselves and face that, then we can receive this amazing promise that has been prefigured in the Old Testament all the way through to the coming of Jesus and continues all the way through until he returns again, that Christian people can have a clear conscience. We can be forgiven of our sins. We can confess our sins to God and to each other, be forgiven of our sins, and be given a clean conscience. We still have the, you know, the, the um, splash of sin that still comes upon us. We still need to confess our sins and we still need to come before Christ. But the sacrifice has been made. There is no chance that things are not going to work well when we come before God and confess our sins. There is no chance that he will not listen to us because we've done something uh, the wrong way round. There is no chance he will not listen to us because we've done some sin that is so gross that we think he won't listen to us. 
See, Jesus has come as the perfect high priest. It is his blood that has paid for sin. There is no other payment needed. And we can come to him and confess our sins and he will give us a, cl a clear conscience. He will cleanse um, the penalty of sin, but he will also cleanse that remaining uh, stigma of sin, that, that feeling that we have, that, that conscience that we have to, uh, to think that we are not worthy, to think that we have, have stepped you know, over the line once too often. But what happens when he cleanses, cleanses our consciences from sin? We may live to serve the living God. That's, that's what the, uh, the end of that reading from Hebrews 9 verse 14 says, that God cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. You see, the whole purpose of the high priest atoning for the sins of the people is so that they could be the people of God, so that they could actually go with God and, and serve him throughout their days. And that is the same for us. With Jesus as our high priest, our sins are forgiven, our consciences are cleansed, we are useful to God in his service. We are able to do um, the things that he's told us to do. So we get up each morning with God's agenda. We know the things he wants us to do in, in a broad perspective and as we do those, he will guide us into uh, to more and more of the good works that he's prepared for us. So do we need a high priest? You bet. But he's done it all. He's done his job. There is, there is no more uh, day of atonement ceremony. There is the remembrance of what Christ has done for us as we uh, celebrate the Holy Communion. But there is no need for more atonement. Jesus Christ has done it all. And we praise God as we turn to him for a clean conscience as we confess our sins. And we renew our, our vow, our dedication to living a life that serves him. We thank our, our great high priest. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we... First of all, Lord, we're blown away by the plan that you have in place since before the creation of the world to live with your people. Way back in the garden, your plan was to live with your people. And Lord, we thank you that through um, our sinfulness, through the, the ways that we have done wrong and ignored you and, and hurt others, we thank you that through all that, you had a plan that would deal with our sin and that ultimately, Lord Jesus, your life is the life that's given for ours. And we thank you that in this you have forgiven us and more than that, you've cleansed our consciences so that we are able to serve you. So Lord, help us to go away from here with great rejoicing in our forgiveness and with great determination to work for your kingdom and for your glory.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing again. Hopefully um, we'll get the, the words up shortly. As Phil um, changes over the cords, cables again. Whilst um, we get ourselves organised, you might think about things that, um, that you'd like to share with the congregation today, because um, we'll go to a time of prayer after this. Jesus Christ.
As I said before, we're coming to a time where we can um, share with the congregation anything that you'd like to share and ask for prayer requests, if, if that was what you were. I was talking to Jimmy before and asked him what was going on with the youth and I'm told that they are in their last week, coming up to their 